Uh, Trafficker makes between $100,000 to $400,000 off of one victim per year. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. Okay. That's a lot. And they traffic minimum three people, average five, seven, up to some of them dumps up to 13. Do you know how much money that is? But when that person is out and they go under restoration services, it takes $786,000 a year for the upkeep of that person, that victim that taxpayers are paying. Wow. Taxpayers are paying. So if you don't care about anything at all, you could at least care about, because most people care about their money because that's usually how you motivate them. friends welcome back to the show as you know we always talk about a variety of nonprofit topics centrally grant writing but a lot of areas that support nonprofits and now and then i like to do a nonprofit spotlight episode this week is a topic that i have been wanting to do for a long time but just hadn't found quite the right guest or approach yet and so this is a little more sensitive topic so that if you have little ones around, you may want to pop your earbuds in in case you're driving in the car or something. Just want you to be aware in advance. This is a very family-friendly show, and I'm committed to keeping it that way. But today's topic is maybe a bit much if you have young kids around that you might not want their little ears exposed to it. Um, I am going to be talking with Christy Neighbors about Deliver Fund. Deliver Fund is a powerful nonprofit, as she will explain, and they are disrupting the global human trafficking markets. They're combining uniquely qualified personnel with the best of the best technologies and then leveraging those in new ways and innovative methods to reach and rescue victims of human trafficking. So this is a heavy topic and something that I know is on a lot of people's minds and something that I've just felt burdened about giving this a platform to share the work they're doing and to be able to help spread the word, help create awareness, help people understand what's happening and what we can do about it as well. So Christy is going to explain more about their work and more specifics, but I wanted to introduce her first. Christy Neighbors is the Director of Development for Deliver Fund. She has been in both the for-profit and nonprofit spaces, and she'll tell us more about her experience there. But this has given her such a wealth of experience and information and powerful skill set to be able to bring to both worlds and both sides of the table. And it's really interesting. She has so much great insight and shares some pretty powerful work that they are doing. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this and um, invite you to be a part of the story and listen in and see what you think. All right, here we go. Christy, welcome to the show. I am so excited to visit with you, especially after we've gotten acquainted here. So before we start, tell us a random fact about yourself. Random fact. I um, This one always fascinates people, and I, I'm not really sure why. But whenever I, I was younger, I was raised, um, I was in Dallas, but in the country. And I always had every animal you can think of. 
So I have bottle fed like goats and pigs and squirrels and raccoons, but I have house trained a goat. Nice. That's impressive. Yep. My daddy <laughs> used to call me Ellie Mae. So uh, <laughs> I did try to house train a turkey and that does not work. Oh, that would be tough. You can't, they have no idea what's going on. Okay. So if we're going to house train, go with the goat. You go with a goat. Go with a goat. Okay. Yep. And did it, it climb on everything? Because everything. I, that's what I always think of with goats. They climb. Climb. Yeah. She climbed on everything. I was in college. I was a freshman in college um, at SMU. And I would take her back and forth with me to class in a dog carrier because she had to be fed her bottle every two hours. <laughs> and so great. when I took. I know. And then I would, you know, be home at my parents' house and then she would stand on my dad's. He had a table beside his, by, the, by his um, lazy boy chair and he would watch TV in the afternoon. But that's also where the mail lived. Like when people came in, you put the mail on the big tray there by dad's TV. Mm-hmm. And the goat would always jump on the tray there and she would start to chew the paper and she would start with like the oh. corner and she'd give her the corner and then she would chew everything. So, oh, yes, no. and she would get in the closet and chew the hem of your skirt and the dresses and chew, chew your shoes. Oh, no. But when I was really tired, of course, I was a college student. Sometimes I was out too late. And you need a babysitter because the goat just never stops. So what, what you do is you get the biggest piece of paper you have, like the big tabloid piece. And I put her in a playpen, like a kitty playpen. And then I would give her the corner of the paper. And I would let her, and once they put it in their mouth, it never leaves. So she would just chew this giant tabloid piece of paper around you know, oven. And I could get like wow. a 20 minute nap in. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so you learned parenting skills with a goat in college. <laughs> a lot of parenting skills. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. Not the right way to do it, but yes. That's very random and fun. I'd love to see college kids running around with goats on campus. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, campus would never be the same. <laughs> but college kids probably might be better these days. Yeah, might be good life skills training. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, you sound like have come quite a long way since your college days of babysitting a goat. So tell us a little bit about your journey and your mix of experience, which sounds very vast, and what led you to this point. Yes. Yeah, so, um, my goodness, I started out in for-profit world. I never thought I would be in, in, a, in a non-profit um, space at all. And I was a, a gr- my, my whole career has been leveraging technology and growing companies and creating revenue streams. But I was recruited out of non-profit. I mean, recruited out of the for-profit world to come and help do a startup non-profit um, based in Dallas and to build a train the trainer program. So we built a training program, um, digital online products. And I will tell you the first year in doing a startup nonprofit and number one, not knowing a thing about nonprofit sitting in staff meetings. It's like learning a new language. Like they don't even use the same words. Right. And I remember sitting there looking around the table, like, I don't even know what that means. And is it even nice to talk about rich people like that? 
<laughs> right? Because I came from such a different world. And so over time, then I developed, like it, say it takes it, my joke is it takes a year to learn the vocabulary, learn the language and learn, you know, yeah, it's okay to, to, to learn how much people it's capacity to give, right? Mm-hmm. To become but fluent just, in the language of it. You have to know. And so it took a good long year, but you know, starting a nonprofit, you you know, ran, you know, wore every hat that you can mm-hmm. possibly think of. Everything from, you know, marketing to live production to digital production, um, fundraising, of course, you know, COO, CEO, CFO, I, I did them all. Um, so that was fun because I, I got to learn all the facets and I fell in love with doing something meaningful in a big way. And creating sustainability. Um, so what I really enjoy is whenever nonprofits are, are creative and are able to have um, revenue generating materials or programs or something so that you don't always have to go back to, you know, donors forever and ever and ever. Because it's like a my friend Dave Carey, he, he calls it a, a self-licking self-licking ice cream cone or something. <laughs> and I never really got it. But he's like, that's what nonprofits are. They never figure out a way to be sustainable, to mm. be able to take care of themselves. Um, so self-licking ice cream cone, that's what he calls it. Mm. Love that analogy. You know, yeah. I talk about sustainability a lot on this show, but I'd love to hear a fresh perspective. What does sustainability mean to you? Well, sorry, that's my mother calling. Oh, literally. Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you need to text her? Because I know how my mom... <laughs> If she gets worried if I don't reply very soon. She'll call three times. She'll, she'll call you in a minute. So if your phone rings, okay. Teresa, it's okay. my mother. I'll let her know. She can, ju- she can jump on the she, show too. She'll find you. She'll find you. She'll find me. She'll find somebody. <laughs> I love um, mom. So sustainability for me, yeah, really, it, it's it's been in different ways. So it's revenue generating. It's finding new ways to do something old. Sometimes it's just shaking it up altogether. Maybe that doesn't work anymore. Removing a stop what we're doing, take a a good hard look and quickly realign, you know, course correction. I learned that from two amazing, amazing people, Dr. Harville Hendricks and Helen Kelly Hunt, New York Times bestselling authors. And I ran their nonprofit relationships first, safe conversations. And, you know, Helen was always about quick course correction. So I love to quote Mm -hmm. her in the, quick course correction. Mm. Good one. And yeah, a lot I, of nonprofits can't do that. And a lot of big companies can't do that. Um, right. But I think, I think companies are better at it because I can't, I came from both and some nonprofits are just tough because I've worked with some and consulted with many. They just can't get out of their own way of doing the same thing the same way. Yes. And never get to take a step back and say, huh, well, if you have you thought about this? And, you know, it's probably not because of, of arrogance or pride. It's probably because they haven't had a minute to take a step back. Because I also do you know a nonprofit. You are literally wearing three hats and doing four jobs. Your role is 24-7 and you're doing so much more. So you don't have the time or the capacity to to plan, to think differently um, and you don't have a, the bandwidth of real creative people. So I love working. I always say I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I prefer to be the, the least smart person in the room. 
um, so I can have people around me who can challenge me to think differently. Um, but also just sometimes they may have a, like a crazy idea, but then I can concretize that and make it into something that, okay, that is doable and this is how we can do it. So I, I love, I love that as well. Mm-hmm. I love that you point that out, that sometimes we need to look at what's not working anymore or what do we need to change or what crazy idea do we need to maybe take seriously and say, hey, wait a minute, that just might work. And sometimes I think some of the holdup too is fear, whether it's fear of the unknown or fear of change or fear of letting go of traditions. And this is how we've always done it. I think a lot of things come into play there that maybe we need to deal with that route first to get yeah. people to open up to those ideas. A hundred percent fear. Um, I, I, I'm with you there. I, I, I agree that that's probably what it is. It, it, it's fear of the unknown, fear of what not to do, but sometimes it's just fear because I don't understand it. Yeah. And so, so sometimes true. you can say, well, I don't understand it, so I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Or you can just say, yes, and figure, figure Let's it out try it. way. Some, sometimes not the best way. Um, when I was learning how to do auctioning of NFTs and crypto fundraising and blockchain and, you know, all of these different ways that people want to give there. And there's so many cryptocurrencies and I've got to figure out how to ways to accept them. And like, I could have said, yeah, no, I don't want to do this fundraiser where people are donating you know, NFTs and then going to auction them and build this whole thing around them. Cause I don't even know what that is. I mean, I'm old <laughs> and old people just, and so I could have said, I don't understand it. And part of me, was, and all I could do is say, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's try but By the way, I'm old. So don't make fun of me. And so, <laughs> the, and they did it and they held my hand along the way. This person who came up, you know, this donor who came up with this, this idea and he didn't make fun of me because I was just like, well, I'm sure he laughed a little. I mean, I'm sure they all had to because like, they're like, God, this lady's old. Uh, nah. You keep saying that, but you don't seem old to me. I guess it's all relative, but I know what you mean though. And sometimes just owning it up front though, goes a long way of just saying, Hey, I do not know what these words mean. I don't know what we're doing here. Hold my hand and teach me. Let's do it. Even though I have no clue. And sometimes that just puts it out on the table. Like, hey, we can work through this. I need your help. Well, you know what? You just you you just um, lined out a pattern of my life that I didn't really know <laughs> that I was doing. It's like when I started at nonprofit, I'm like, I don't even know what these words are, right? I'm learning a whole new like vocabulary. And I just say, I don't even know what this means. And then, you know, with the NFTs and everything else, and I'm, I'm like, hey, I don't know what this is. Tell me what it is. And that brings me to Deliver Fund, who I'm working with all of these super specialized, highly trained, highly skilled former spies, CIA, NSA, Homeland Security analysts, all military people. And they use like, oh, the, in the in the whatever, the, the Pathfinder. And then they've got all of these words that are sometimes like, in the in the ppt and the da 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 and you're like i don't even know what that means mm-hmm. but there's oh well those are you know military terms i'm like you have to talk like normal people yeah i don't even know what you're saying and it's and of course i know the bloggers don't care what we're i mean the 
don't care what I'm saying, but whenever you're around people that you don't know what you're saying, you have to ask. And then I always try to help people because I'm always the one that doesn't understand what they're saying. And I'm like, and if you don't know what that means, what they're talking about is our, you know, it's it's our human trafficking watch list. And they've got to put mm. some fancy names on it or whatever, but it's really just the human trafficking watch list. Yeah. Say that. For, then people understand. They're like, ah, I know what that means. Instead yeah. of making them feel stupid, like, and then they never understand the point of the conversation. That's so a I great point. Like to be an interpreter. Yeah, I feel like a lot of my role, and even with grant writers, a lot of our role is to interpret. Like sometimes it's a complex mission, or sometimes it's a matter of collecting certain data points and stories, and then weaving that into something tangible that a potential donor or grant maker can understand and resonate with. Hundred percent. It's just like connectors. that. And all of the grant writers out there know this pain that people internal who are so close to it, it's crystal clear to them. Yes. But hey, you have to make a regular person understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like somebody teaching me NFTs and the crypto and fundraiser and sponsoring, you know. They had to make me understand that. So you have to make someone else understand it. But we are, we're, we are, we are interpreters for mm-hmm. everything. So I feel like I've been the interpreter of everything in my life. I always ask people, do you know, do they have, like, I lived in Europe in college uh, back and forth. And so when I would come home, I would kind of stutter through different places. Or you know how whenever they have like a, a store up wherever you are in, in Missouri, where I am in Dallas, I'm like, do y'all have? And they're, oh, no, but it's a whatever, right? You have to interpret mm-hmm. what it is. So I feel like my mm-hmm. whole life has been an in, in <laughs> interpretive language. I'm one of six kids, and I'm the baby. So um, mm-hmm. I had to, just, like, listen hard and fast and then ask questions later because there's a yeah. lot of people around me. Yeah, and you just connect the dots as fast as you can and fast keep things can. moving. Yeah. Yeah. What has been the most surprising thing for you in working with a nonprofit like Deliver Fund? Because it sounds like this is a huge shift from past types of work you've done, whether in the business or for-profit world. So what's been surprising? You know, I I think I'm going to say a little bit about Deliver Fund and what they do. And then I'll tell you what surprised me, just so people will understand. Um, So Deliver Fund is founded by former CIA, NSA, Homeland Security analysts who worked in counterterrorism. They hunted terrorists. And whenever um, Nick was in Afghanistan, he saw women and children being sold. So he called and said, hey, I found some people, women and children being sold. What do I do about it? They said, well, there's, there's, there's no budget set aside for human trafficking. You're going to have to leave them. So Nick said, well, when I'm coming, I know how to hunt people, terrorists, so I can hunt traffickers. So when he came home, they started Deliver Fund. Um, And so what they do is they hunt human traffickers and they dismantle human trafficking rings, but they teach and train law enforcement. So the key is giving law enforcement the tools and Deliver Fund develops the technology and the platforms that law enforcement can use to make their job faster and easier, a lot faster. What used to take them 26 hours, they can get done in two hours. Mm, that's incredible. Using our technology platform. So a lot of things, now you said, what have I found fascinating? Or one thing, and, and being a nonprofit, and everybody here in the nonprofit world, y'all all 
know about human trafficking, at least you know it exists. Um, and I thought, like everybody, at least had that basic knowledge to start from, right? You have to have a, ba- a assumption of people's knowledge so then you can build on that. And so we all assume that because we know about impoverished communities, we know about, um, you know, at-risk youth, we know about um, foster kids, the risk with foster kids. We know all of these things because this is the world we live and we work in. We know the heartbeat of our city. We know the needs of our city. Whenever, you know, COVID came through and, you know, people were talking about, you know, just their work and their commute and they didn't have commute anymore. And isn't this great? And then the kids can just work from, you know, do their school from home. And, you know, probably like y'all are so blind. You're talking about kids that don't have now access to, to food or meals. Some of these kids that don't have electricity in their home or a computer, like this is a big deal. So there's the blind, this blind world, but our world, we know it, we live it, we see it every day. So to put that into deliver fund terms is I, t- I talk to people frequently about, you know, deliver fund and what we do. They're like, but that doesn't happen here. I'm like, these are American girls in American dollars. Like I can show you a home on your street, a street on your, I mean, a house on your street or in your neighborhood that a tra- a, a, there's been some sort of human trafficking activity. And more than human trafficking and sex trafficking, labor trafficking is prominent everywhere. So I've been so surprised that people just still don't believe it exists. Mm, right here around us. It's not just or, overseas or in some other country. It's right here in our neighborhoods. Yeah. And it's, and I just, that's the part, I guess I, I went with the assumption that everybody at least had a basic knowledge that it does exist. And I think now it's becoming more talked about and we don't have to convince the public that it's bad. Um, I think that when Deliver Fund first started seven years ago, they were having to convince people that it existed and it was bad because it was still so new and rarely talked about. People didn't have a clue. So I think that we can all agree that it's bad, um, at least at some level, so we can get past that. But now we have to go and educate people that it does exist here. Mm-hmm. It's in it's in your kids' gaming platform chat rooms. Mm-hmm. You think it's on their text messages? It's not. It's where you're not going to see. It's where you are most vulnerable, parents, because you know we can watch our kids. And we have access to their texts. We can read their whatever, but they're on gaming platforms. They're talking on Instagram chats. Now, parents probably even have that, but it's, there's so many underlying and um, peripheral chat ways that traffickers get to young kids. Mm -hmm. And the average age of a victim is 15 years old. So a trafficker will put in, invest 12 months, 18 months grooming a person to wow. leave their family. So this is not like a fly-by-night, come in and sneak in your window and, and grab your kid. They have had built trust, long-term trust with it. They invested a lot of time, basically money. Because why? They're going to make a hell of a lot of money on selling your kid. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
and I'm sure the platforms are a moving target from your perspective of trying to identify how are these infiltrating and what are kids using? And I mean, there's new apps every day. There's new apps every day. Um, And we don't, that's not really where we target. We hunt traffickers. We don't, Um, we don't hunt and protect the kids because every kid is a target. mm -hmm. Every, every, any person in a vulnerable position. And by the way, who, of us has not been vulnerable at least once in our life. Like who has not felt pretty that day or didn't feel like they had the right whatever that day or just had a crappy week. We've all felt at some point vulnerable or weak. And that's so all of us, it's me, especially when I was younger, I mean, I I would be prime real estate right to, to for a trafficker to come after us because we all were especially i think girls and then and in the teenage years that, which are crazy oh gosh, anyway who didn't feel like fat or had a big pimple right mm-hmm. yeah had a and rough day some, friends are tough comes up and says you're so pretty oh well, i don't you know i don't feel they pretty today or, all the right oh, things you're not fat you're skinny you look beautiful and mm-hmm. that's it they say all the right things so of course you're going to spend months and months and years grooming you um, so we don't, but we don't, there's plenty of, there's plenty of other things and resources that are on the victim side, but we hunt the trafficker. So we know who they are and we know where they are. Um, we have the only human trafficking watch list in the world. So if, yeah, I know. And I hope there are some traffickers watching, um, mm-hmm. because we, we do know them. Um, and all we're waiting is for them to get to the, the right city when we hand over their file, the intelligence file that we've been collecting and hand it to the law enforcement and they go and take them. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's really that, So that's why Deliver Fund is different um, because it mm-hmm. is exciting. Um, what they're doing is totally different than, than, than anything else out there and anything that I've ever worked with. Um, and I, I do love that part of it. Yeah. Well, and I'm seeing a couple of things in particular that are jumping out that it looks like you identified a gap in the market, Mm -hmm. so to speak. You didn't try to duplicate what's already happening. You saw, the founders saw a huge need that was not being met. And I'm sure they dug deep into that. And they had the unique skill set. Yes, exactly. And they're the only people that do have that very unique skill set to hunt mm-hmm. and they can, pull and they that can in. use that same yeah so it is it like you know, it's right time and right place and it just made sense and gives them that what they were trained to do mm-hmm. um but yeah and and still protect because they're you know they're their core of them you know and most of the people that are work with us at Deliver Fund are former military in some way. So a lot of um, special operations, even law enforcement investigators and those folks. But their core is to help people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what they want to do. And they love just serving and helping people. So this gives them a continue the mission sort of story. So after the military, yeah, there's still a way to for them to do something that's very big and use their skills. 
Mm-hmm. And that's very powerful for, I mean, just that's that why whole, they're so good at it. They're yeah, just so good at it. That's incredible. And what a way to really take the best resources and focus them towards this very specific problem. And also yeah. I've noticed you've identified, we do not do this. We do specialize in this. So you've really clearly defined what you do and what you do not do, which allows you to focus in and make that powerful difference on your specific area of identifying the traffickers, training the law enforcement, and just going after it and developing technology. Yeah. So yeah. it's really, we are a technology, technology company is what we are. We develop the technology and the platform and, and train the law enforcement. Um, yeah. And what we do not, of course you wouldn't want former military like, doing restoration services. They wouldn't have a clue of what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. They know how to hunt terrorists. So let's put them where they're, they're best trained. Um, and give them the tools. And and the other thing is the the donor money, government, there's not enough money for uh, for us, the public, to train the people who are already working for Deliver Fund because they've been trained by the best, the U.S. military. Mm-hmm. And millions of dollars have been poured into each one of them in their training. So, hey, guess what? nonprofit world we don't have to you know and you know donors we don't have to pay for their training they came like that Yay. that's an incredible resource to make the most it's an incredible of incredible resource yes that's so we do love to tap it and they have a great network um we have several seals who work together when they were on seal teams mm-hmm. together and so they work for deliver funds so they already have that camaraderie and they're mm-hmm. just and they're really just wicked smart and, and wildly fun and when you can put that mix together, that just is exponential impact. Yes, yes. And then you get to see the real work, and and they're just they're so good at their job. Mm-hmm. It, you know, something that comes up a lot that I talk about a lot, but also just in the grant world is a lot of myths and people trying to help, wanting to help. They know what grants are, but they say things that are really not helpful. Like, oh, why don't you just get a grant for that? You're doing human trafficking, just get some grants. And from your face, I can tell you know exactly. (laughs) You've heard that before. So what are some common myths or maybe misspeaking that you hear in your work that we need to know educate us how can we better support you in your work or how can we better support our local law enforcement in this effort um several ways and i love that you went into the myths about grants and us in fundraising and nonprofits, we've all heard. <laughs> you know, we sit at a board meeting. We have a board member like, look, and says, well, we should just do that. And I'm like, do you know how hard that would be? Like, or it's impossible. Yeah. I don't have the money. Or first of all, it's not even part of our, like what we can do legally. Like, yeah. you, and you can't even explain that in that. So just I, yes. call Jeff Bezos or somebody, you know, just oh, McKenzie. Yeah. Don't you love that? Yeah. There's so many that like, it's just that easy. It. Come on. We should, we should write yeah. a book about all of those and then give we it to can. every board member that signs on to the nonprofit. In fact, I should write a book about mm-hmm. what not to say to your executive director if you serve on a board. That would actually be uh, really good. We could... Yeah. That would be my book. We could do hey, that. Okay, so we should start taking all the comments and let's write a book. And I think oh. that I'm going to gift it to some former board members. We should make it required reading before they can. It's read required reading. There oh, will be a quiz. It should be. 
But I think well, I'm going to like sign special copies and send it to former board members <laughs> and say, you inspired this book. Yeah. <laughs> With love. Never read it. No. I don't even know that they should be insulted. That's right. the problem. Right. Exactly. The ones that need to hear it won't. <laughs> they won't. But they'll be like, look, I inspired this book. <laughs> right. Um, so but the rest of us will know. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, because you know what we will do? I'll tell you this. We will tell you what not, members of what board members to never put on your board, but we will not share the names of the good board members because we don't want you poaching them. Isn't that <laughs> right. the truth about us though, right? Right. Yeah. Because you don't want them like, spread too thin. No. And you would never tell like where your your best, best people are and the ones who actually do work. You would never, you, y'all are laughing right now, but you all know that this is true. <laughs> Yeah. We're all friends until it gets to that point and it gets real. And it's people competitive. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're like, I am not sharing that board member's phone number or their name <laughs> or who is our biggest whatever. No way. Um okay. Uh, back to myths um with <laughs> not with human trafficking. Um so myth number one is you know, people here, you know, they they'll take them in the middle of the night or nap them from a mall or you know. Or there was even this one myth about um, like a zip tie on the door handle of a car or something. And sometimes it's like there's a shoe and they'll say, oh, if you see a zip tie on the door handle of your car, you've been pegged to be. So don't open your car door. Now, there are people who get taken and now, but it's like it's less than one percent. It's really people who who have spent some time in grooming that person. They know their trafficker at that point very well. It's usually in that Romeo kind of um, boyfriend way. Um, And one thing I did not know about traffickers is they're very charismatic and very likable. Um, Because I would think that they would be kind of creepy because I'll tell you this one story, this, um, one trafficker who was interviewed by law enforcement and he went to um, girls, uh, you know, high school basketball game. Two girls were sitting in front of him and he was listening to talk. Oh, I really want a tattoo. Uh, my parents won't let me get a tattoo. I make good grades. And he's listening to them talk. Well, it was halftime and they go to concession. He's like, Hey, I heard you want a tattoo. Yeah, my parents won't let me. Well, I have a tattoo shop. Um, if you just get in the car with me, I'll have you back before the end of the game. Your parents won't even know. You can even get it somewhere where they won't even see it, right? She gets in the car with him because he's nice. He's at the high school basketball game. He's going to be okay. He's probably a parent. Well, he wasn't. He was a trafficker. He drugged her. So there's that percent where he does take them. But the thing is, what I didn't realize is that They would be attractive. They would come and sit at your kids' basketball games. They'll sit at the high school basketball games. They'll go to the mall because where do you, where do girls go for shopping? Mm -hmm. They go to the Mm -hmm. mall. Guess where traffickers go shopping? Some of them go to the mall because they're shopping for your girls. Um, There was one trafficker that was interviewed and said he goes to the mall because that's where you find teenage girls. And I'm like, of course (sighs) you do. Wow. So those are things I didn't realize. Because they would be good looking and they will look rich and they will all of these things. 
because I always thought they would like come in like a black hoodie and you know they're sitting there creepy mm-hmm. at the high school game and mm-hmm. she's like no Watching. they're gonna be like the most likable person there engaging and yeah and I was like oh okay mm-hmm. so that's a myth that I of course didn't mm-hmm. realize that they would be and totally they're listening normal. for ways to connect infiltrate yeah yeah interesting yeah it's probably not what's portrayed in the movies and not the hollywood picture not caged up like you know in handcuffs and thrown in a dark room um because he has to keep his because if you think about all of this was just in an economics way if he's selling a product which in this case is a human it's got to be an attractive product. So he's doing things to her to keep her or him, but it's 92% are female. So I'm going to go with the her part, but he's doing things to keep her attractive and to keep her marketable because he's using her image um, online and he's selling her online. And that's how you buy everything from, from shoes to pizza to sex. You, you, Go online and you just Google it. You you don't, there's no dark web for this because people don't have access to the dark web if they're wanting to buy a girl for sex. Like, where do you go, darkweb.com? No, mm-hmm. they just put prostitute near me on wow. Google. And here you go. There's a 17 million options. Which one do you want? Because there's literally that many right around you, wherever you are. Wow. Um, right. So just like finding someone to come fix your roof. You just Google whatever else you need. Wow. You just Google it. So I think that's another myth is people always think it's the dark web. Um, but -hmm. it's really, it's your computer and you have access to just as much as they do and they sell their products online. Um, but they want their products to be attractive. So they're not, you know, holed up in a dungeonous cave they're usually they're out at the mall they're wherever you are is where traffickers and their victims are so you can go you be you'll be in the airport and there will be someone who won't let this girl or young child um by themselves anywhere they can't carry their own passport and they look like they're old enough to carry their own passport travel documents um you can see a lot of them have neck tattoos because they've been branded um traffickers brand their brand their product um so they will there'll be there's certain demarcations that tell you that this you belong to this trafficker um and they'll have that that trafficker will have that same branding on all all of his products Um, but then he'll sell you off to another trafficker and then that trafficker then gets to brand you so and the other thing is i was at the airport just recently and it's like if you see if if you're being trafficked call this number trafficked people don't know they're being trafficked mm-hmm. now does that sound hard to believe just for a second mm-hmm. but that's true because this is a i'm gonna go with girl scenario because i'm a girl and it's the only thing i can relate to but this is a girl who's in love with a boyfriend and this boyfriend is having her do things Mm-hmm. and so she doesn't know she's being trafficked she doesn't know she's being sold until she's so far deep into it she just knows that this boyfriend is mean or he's abusive but he gives her drugs 
and he gets you have a drug addicted person who then looks like a prostitute whenever she's caught you know by police but she's not a prostitute she's being sold she's never benefiting from this this is forced fraud and coercion so trafficking victims don't know they're being trafficked and that was something i never realized until i started this and mm. i'm talking to people who have been restored on the other side of it just it, it, you know i had one of one of the victims that that i know she had been trafficked from when she was 5 years old by her mother up until she was 20 something. Oh my. But she wasn't, and she didn't realize that she was trafficked until after she had gotten out of this world of drugs that, and what she thought was prostitution. And it was, and she was already married before she realized, Oh my God, I was trafficked and sold because she remembered being sitting in the back seat of a car with her trafficker, her boyfriend, and he was talking to another trafficker on the phone, and he told her he would sell sell her for two hundred and fifty dollars. And she said, uh -huh. "I feel like I'm just being sold like a purse." And she remembered that conversation back of the car, but she still didn't really know that that meant she was being transferred ownership because she just thought that's the way it was. Mm -hmm. It didn't click. That it, it, it didn't click. That so, she was a product to them. Yeah, that people see, you know, you know, raise your hand or do this thing and these weird hand motions if you're being trafficked. They don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So it's the responsibility of the public to be on the lookout for things that just don't seem right. Mm -hmm. um, little girls going into men's bathrooms um, to meet other men, you know, at public, at the, you know, I say the State Fair of Texas, but Disney World, at the airport. Um, They'll take a young girl to a men's bathroom stall like it's her dad, leave her in there for an hour, and then come back and get her. There's just things that just don't add up and don't look right. She can't carry her own travel documents. So it's our job, the public, to be on the lookout because she does not know. And the other thing is don't interfere. You have to call the police because the only person that can do anything about it is a law enforcement officer. Um, there are some people who love to go after the trafficker and they they go and they beat the trafficker up and you know, like there are organizations who do that nonprofits um who hunt traffickers but guess what all you do is just pissed off that trafficker and he's going to go get three more victims mm -hmm. you have to use law enforcement and give law enforcement the tools and technology to take that person off the street so mm -hmm. law enforcement is the hero here they're the only people that can do anything about it and this the other thing is um we as activists, um, when I say pressure, and I mean, when you are voting, when you are listening to what your local leaders, your um, politicians in your area, what your um, police chiefs are doing, vote that they have the money to do their job. Um, so you need to, we all need to make sure that we have political leaders who want to fight in human trafficking. Well, the, how can they do that? Making sure that there's money in the budget, mm -hmm. because if there's no money in the budget, 
we know there's if there's not a line item in a budget, just like for us in nonprofit, if there's no line item in the budget to do something that's harebrained that our our founder wants to do, we really can't do it because we didn't plan for it. There's no budget item. Of course, you know, sometimes we get founders who are like, I'll just pay for it. You're like, okay, fine. But we all have been there, right? But if it's not a line item in the budget, so we have to make sure that we we vote and we make sure that the people who are um, allocating the budgets and political leaders make this a priority and you just have to tell them to make it a priority. Because remember all the way back whenever I talked about how Deliver Fund started, it's because whenever founders, Nick was in Afghanistan, he found these women and girls who are being sold, they're American, um, but he couldn't do anything about it because there was no line item in the budget. So if there's a line item in the budget to go after human traffickers, mm-hmm. then Deliver Fund would have never started anyway. But we hope that one day Deliver Fund will not need to be around because mm-hmm. there will be enough funding because it's been allocated. But the thing is that laws haven't caught up enough to where um, traffickers are um, and then technology is. And so that's the other thing. So until the laws can catch up where it is, they go to prison for life for selling girls for sex um, until the laws can change. And then until we can have enough money and budget for, to, for law enforcement, for human trafficking detectives, um, then it's all of our job to be aware of our surroundings and be the eyes and ears, but then also really rally and force your local cities to, to, care about human trafficking why because it's your vote and they need your vote mm-hmm. and to realize to like you said into political but yeah there you go. but that it is right here and that we need to do things right here locally in our community yeah you know there's this um it, it's it, it's not just human trafficking we do labor trafficking as well so we have our labor trafficking um I, I have to say everything in normal language, but we have a CRM, okay, and a search engine, and we know what a search engine is. So we have our search engine of human traffickers, and we have a search engine of all of the labor traffickers. And so our CRM of it, side of it, is called LTIP, L-T-I-P, and is labor trafficking something, something. And so this is where I don't <laughs> get well with it. You know, I told you about the, the military, and so LTIP. Right. We'll go with right. that. Well, so, th- but it is, it's our CRM. But in that CRM, it has all the labor trafficking, the illicit massage businesses. And so this is the crazy thing, Teresa. So I live north of Dallas, and what I think is a, it's a relatively small town, and I was like, oh, pull up my zip code, right? Because, you know, it doesn't. Obviously, it happens here in the city because of the city. It's just so many people. And I pulled up my zip code and my street. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That is the Kroger like two miles from my house. Illicit massage business, mm-hmm. right? So the labor trafficking from from that. It's it's prominent. It's everywhere. So the, the town north of Dallas that's not very big had yes it's it's right here so yes it's in your town it's on your street um it's labor trafficking in the low in your local restaurants those weird massage businesses that have the 
the windows all blacked out. Well, they look weird for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. whenever you you're, you're looking with something's crazy. It's probably crazy. If it's something's not right, it's not right. Trust your gut. Mm-hmm. So those things get that out of your town and make it harder and harder for um, human traffickers and labor traffickers to do business. So that's what um, deliver fund. It, you know, we were started again, hunting terrorists. So dismantling terrorist network, making it harder and harder for terrorists to do their job. So our, our same plan is to make it harder and harder for traffickers to do their job, make it harder and harder for any trafficker to do their job, make it harder for them to rent a storefront, to find an Uber, to get an Airbnb. Um, because I mean, really, if you have houses on Airbnb, you don't want it being used for selling sex, you know, for this weekend right. while you're in Florida and you're like, oh, this will pay for my vacation. Well, no, you make sure that the companies that you're posting your house with make sure that there are no human traffickers that will be renting their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there sure are ways understand to do that. To not be a part of it yes. yourself. Yeah, not be a part of Even it. Even unknowingly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful because I think sometimes it just comes down to education and like you said, being aware, but also being willing to be aware and not just turning a blind eye and being content with that, but actually creating that knowledge to where we can pay attention and we can sit up and be more on the alert and know what to do when something does come up instead of just, oh, that's probably nothing. I'm sure it's fine. Maybe we do need to, like you said, listen to your gut and go a little deeper and look at things through a different lens. Yeah. And I think that your audience specifically, because they are so involved in community and they're so involved in, you know, impact and meaningful work. I think that this audience more than any already would do that. It's Mm -hmm. the people who are blind that whenever I tell them, you know, that I had, you know, dinner with some people over Christmas, some friends. Well, can you do what? Does that exist? Like, I'm not going to say these like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does exist. So it, it, yeah. it's like there's these people who are just so blind to it and they live in their own little like fairyland. And I'm like, my gracious, Lord, mm-hmm. help us all. Because you're yeah. the, they're the people who could make the change. They're the people who have the capacity financially to make a big change. But they won't look up from their own little world. But this audience, I believe, because they're already in it, mm-hmm. they already know it exists. They see it. Um, yeah. And they're already advocates. So you're mm-hmm. very blessed and to have this great, great audience. And, you know, because of that, that kind of gives us a burden of responsibility to help educate and to educate. help open people's eyes to, to your this neighbor. Is reality. Yeah. Yes. Look around your neighborhood, your schools, everywhere. At your kids are at risk. Yeah. yeah. Your the, the kids in your neighborhood are at risk. The, the, gaming platforms that they're on um that is the the number one target there's one little one story and i'd love to share the video maybe i'll just send you the link and then you can put it on and we use the story and we use it's a boy named noah his real name is not Noah, but that's the name that we use but um a young boy i think he was eight years old um was taken in the middle of the night well, his family knew somebody at Deliver Fund. Well, they called 
us at Deliver Fund. Anyhow, it the little boy had been taken, and before law enforcement even got their their hands around it, um, we had found you know all the information. They we knew um, Kara Hundress, um, she's on our team knew who Noah's trafficker was and then gave the information to law enforcement and gave them the tools and they got Noah. They, so they recovered an eight-year-old boy within less than like two days. Mm-hmm. But without that parent knowing about Deliver Fund at that point, not that Deliver Fund is the answer, but your local law enforcement is, um, but making sure that they have the tools and resources. Um, but an eight-year-old boy, um, a target through video games and mm, they, he was wow. planning to be sold wow. and boys bring a lot of money. That's just so a trafficker makes between, yeah, a, a trafficker makes between a hundred thousand to $400,000 off of one victim per year. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. Okay? That's a lot. And they traffic minimum three people average five seven up to some of them dumps up to 13 do you know how much money that is that they're making off of our kids off of our kids as a parent that's just sickening it's sickening and then of course they're not paying taxes because i have to put everything down in economics but they're not paying taxes on that Mm. right so it's free but whenever that but when that person is out and they go on their restoration services it takes $786,000 a year for the upkeep of that person, that wow. victim, a year for the rest of their life. $786,000 a year that taxpayers are paying. Wow. Taxpayers are paying. Wow. So if you don't care about anything at all, you could at least care about, because most people care about their money, because that's usually how you motivate them. Um, but I know y- y'all care more because you're, this is the caring audience, but <laughs> if you've got to convince somebody and you can't get them in the fact that driving is bad or this is your kids are at risk or they're being sold for sex 10 to 15 times a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week, if they don't, if none of that gets them, well, then maybe if they know that they're going to have to pay nearly a million dollars a year, mm-hmm. maybe they'll care about that. So I'm giving you all kinds of weapons, tools. Yeah. To convince somebody, but that's that's just crazy. I think that's a fantastic example that we need both the data, the hard numbers, and those compelling, heart-wrenching stories. We need both in our storytelling, in our communications. We have to appeal to both the logic and the emotion, and especially in a situation like this, with a cause like this, where it is so critical. And it's you're investing in the future and you're being proactive. This is something that you're having to plant seeds now for things that you don't even know are going to exist for technology that hasn't been invented yet, but you're already having to fight it in advance of it being created, which is just mind boggling. And that's why you need the best of the best working on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's part of the, um, the, what amazes me about this organization is they they think far ahead. Um, so developing the technology and then really, you know, a, a lot of uh, most of our money goes to funding technology. 
because mm-hmm. we have to build the technology platform because no technology platform ever existed before. There was not a human trafficking watch list before DeliverFund. There was not a search engine just um, of human traffickers before DeliverFund. So we built all the technology. We've built everything. And then the storing of the data for all of these years. So for the past seven years, we have every human trafficker that's ever posted an ad ever. We have it all. Mm-hmm. So that's ev- which ultimately turns into evidence, which we can't call it that, but it's mm-hmm. intelligence you that we get trace to, that we right. give to law enforcement. Right. Connect the dots. So it's yeah. Patterns of behaviors and patterns of their travel and connect the dots and give ultimately the law enforcement um, the tool. And then the victim doesn't have to testify. Mm-hmm. And okay. our our we have a hundred percent prosecution rate on the ones that have gone to trial mm. without the victim being without involved. the victim what a blessing for yes everything that's something that's i didn't realize that our system whenever it's a human trafficking case um they have to have the victim testify and i always quote nick nick says you know what what looks like a drug induced a drug addicted prostitute on the stand against a Harvard trained lawyer. Mm -hmm. Right. It just Mm -hmm. never turns out well. Mm -hmm. And she's there in front of her person. She loves her boyfriend. Yeah. She, and rarely does this work out. Right. And it still Um, may not have clicked that she's been trafficked. Like you said earlier, or she, and it never goes to trial if she has to testify is ultimately what happens or the attorney just eats her up. The other thing, um, I like the Sal Hernandez. He is, um, an analyst. He's a former Navy. So he works with us. And you know, he did this quote when he was talking one day, helping me on a pitch at the foundation. He's, and he said, you know, whenever somebody's charged with murder, they don't have the person who was killed, but you know, they could come alive. And, yeah. That's the dude that shot me. <laughs> Sal is adorable. Right. And he's just so real about just the, the, ugliness of life and like a, in such a fun way but yeah we don't make the dead person come back and say that's the dude that shot me True. but we make the trafficking victim come up and say yeah that's the guy who trafficked me so we are eliminating that piece mm. that's brilliant to be able to do that for so many reasons yeah wow oh my goodness <laughs> so much to unpack here and i feel like we could talk all day on forever all these resources but i've kept you long enough and i really appreciate the information and just the the knowledge because i think a lot of what we do in nonprofit work comes back to the education piece of getting proper education accurate education and then the tools to know how to act and take effective actions next, which is really what we're all about of making sure we can actually make a difference and not just misinformation or just talking about things, but nothing happens. We need to take good, effective action. And giving us the tools and resources. And some of you, some of you listening may be, um, you know, work on the, the other side on the grant on the you know granting side or the foundation side but knowing what's legal so sometimes i talk to foundations like oh yeah we support this whatever i'm like well actually and i never can say it but if a person or organization is going after traffickers 
and they just basically they they set up stings and they go in and they beat them up or whatever. That's that's illegal. <laughs> like you can't fund that. What they're doing is not even legal. And so having foundations educated on who's really doing what and how to understand it and break it down, right? Because there's a lot of, of that. There's a lot of noise in this space. Um, and a lot of organizations are doing such amazing work, but it's tough work, I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Just to hear the stories. I mean, in the very beginning when I started delivering, I mean, it affects you. It affects your sleep. It affects everything about your life for a good long time um because it, it kind of haunts you I'm and it sure. should rightfully yeah. so yeah it's a haunting issue and i can only imagine the ones actually out there doing this work on the front lines oh yeah what our analysts who look at these images all day long you know Ugh. 16 hours a day so part of our technology is developing um artificial intelligence so the computers help sift through uh a lot of the images so the analysts they don't have to be exposed to so much of it um but Mm -hmm. analysts right now are having to be exposed to teach the computer but ultimately when the computers are taught it will help eliminate so right now we've got analysts who are are inundated with this but long term this will help the future um analysts in law enforcement so they are not exposed to the to as much of the just the quantity of it it's still raw and and horrible because mm-hmm. that's traumatic in itself just having to process it, that and those images and stories it's traumatic and- when you see videos i mean Teresa. i mean these the traffickers they call themselves pimps but they're so bold some of them are so bold they've got their instagram videos which is public like you can go and find any of this on instagram i won't even say the trafficker's name because he's out there but he's taking a 15 year old girl all on video to a tattoo parlor and he's tattooing his pimp (sighs) name on her throat and she's laying there guess what two videos later there's another girl who probably looks 12 taking her to the same tattoo place tattooing the same thing across her throat Wow. Okay. More videos tattooing the same name. And you're thinking, huh, this tattoo guy, why isn't he asking questions? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's horrific. But he's got it on his Instagram. That's crazy. Pictures of my cat sleeping hardly. Like, I mean, they're just so bold. Like, there's one trafficker, this one crazy story. I know I'm going to, I've just got to tell you how bold they are. There's this one trafficker, lived in Las Vegas, um, and he was buying, he buys a, a jewelry from a jewelry maker, actually here in Frisco, Texas. And i dying to say the name. Um, but he was coming to a jewelry store here in Frisco, Texas, which is right outside of Dallas, and he's taking his victims with him. And this jewelry store owner, oh, yeah, hey, trafficker name here, pimp. Good to see you. He's like, yeah, yeah, I need another. He's like, oh, you know, and he thought it was, and he said it was his wives. Okay. Same, this is all in his Instagram video. I cannot make this up. Then, same trafficker on Instagram video goes to a plastic surgeon's office in Beverly Hills. And you can hear the plastic surgeon's office front desk lady. It says, 
he's she, he's like, oh hey, I'm bringing another one of my girls. He's on video with his girl. Bring another one, another one of my girls should tell you mm-hmm. something. Front desk girl says, oh, trafficker number one, we love when you bring your girls. Oh my goodness! Wow, and this is on video, and I'm thinking somebody should if their ears aren't raised and they don't have questions about this there's big problems and if they do know what's going on and they're supporting it they're supporting it bigger problems that's right all of these everybody wow. from from tattoo parlors to plastic surgeons to jewelry and it's all over the country so you wow. it's not it it is literally like the Mark Samuels jewelry in Frisco, Texas, to plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. And he's and, and you see, this is a trafficker. These guys are not poor. He's flying all over the country with girls, mm-hmm. multiple girls. And well-known, apparently. Well-known. Amongst these and, vendors. Yep. Wow. Spending a lot of money. And they don't care. They're about the money, too. He's about the money. They're about the money. It all mm-hmm. comes down to follow the money. It's good business. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And it's so, sickening. Yeah. so that's on their Instagram and it's live and you can go there right now and start finding it. Or you can follow Kara the Huntress. Kara reveals oh. all of this for you on, she she is um, our Deliver Fun teammate, but she will show you all of this every single day as much as you want to see. Wow. Um, traffickers. Bags of money. Trash bags of money. That's crazy. So really, yeah, just it's not so just, bold. yeah, it's not just the lifestyle and process. It's a whole economics ecosystem that has yeah. to be tackled and addressed. That, that disrupted, right. You have mm-hmm. to stop everything, everything from the, don't let them buy an airline ticket. Don't let them get to an Uber. Um, don't let them deposit their money in your bank because that's mm-hmm. money laundering. Mm-hmm. And then you dear bank get in trouble for that too Mm, interesting okay yeah it's a whole ecosystem you're right yeah so that's that's good information just to create awareness and i want to challenge our listeners just to think back and look at this differently like how can you look at the problem differently look at solutions and ways to support differently, whether it's in our everyday lives, in our work, in our nonprofits, whatever it is, how can we help be a part of the solution and not perpetuate the growing problem? And sometimes you don't know you are, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that was something that was eye-opening to me too, because I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm amazed every day about how, how bold Mm -hmm. traffickers are. Yeah. And probably right under our noses and we don't know it. It's right under our noses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's on the, in- it's on, it's my mother, the Instagram or the, you know, the Facebooks. It's on the Instagram and the Facebooks. It's right there, <laughs> right. literally under our noses. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, keep up the good work and keep us posted on how well, thank we you can for having support. Me. As we wrap up, is there a resource that's been especially meaningful to you in your journey in nonprofit work? You know what? I think it's um, it, it, to me, it's it's mentors and um, surrounding myself with people who know more, mm. and just listening. and And I don't 
come in ever thinking I know it all or anything at all. Um, because resources change in career. My life has changed so much. Um, but really, it's been about people. Wow. Mm-hmm. I actually do like people. I'm glad you could discover that. (laughs) It's been the people that have poured so much into me and have cared. Uh, Yeah. 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 That's, I guess that's it. Good. You're awesome though. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. And tell us where we can connect to learn more or if people want to connect with you. Yeah. So deliverfund.org. I am Christy Neighbors. So I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram Neighbors, N-A-B-O-R-S. Um, but Kara the Huntress, I think you will find a lot from her. She's the one who will reveal all of these stories to you and more. Um, and I'm going to send you the Noah video. So in case people want to see okay. that, but deliverfund.org has, has all of those. Um, and then if you have a local, um, law enforcement agency that you would love to have trained or at least to have, um, access to technology, Y'all, please reach out because I'd love to help you in any way. I know a lot of, especially nonprofits, you guys are working directly with law enforcement services. I mean, you already, you know them, you know who they are, and you are a trusted, trusted partner. Um, And if there's something that you wanted to do to gift to them um, training, please reach out. Love to help. And imagine what kind of ripple effect that simple thing could have. Like we don't know, but that could have a huge impact on somebody's life or on many lives. So that small act of just an introduction could make all the difference. It could. Well, I'll tell you one quick ripple effect that will blow your mind. Um, so last year, Deliver Fund trained 600 and something officers. The human, the ones who are human traffic um, investigators one investigator has an average span in human trafficking division five to seven years okay so one law enforcement officer five to seven years that law enforcement officer will have average of 13 trafficking arrests in a year okay Mm -hmm. one law enforcement officer 13 arrests a year 13 times five or seven that's one officer now multiply that times the 600 Wow. Do you see the ripple effect? It's huge, right? Wow. I mean, I could do the math, but I'm slow, so I have to yeah. get my calculator. But y'all can do <laughs> right. the math, and we'll do it together. And it's I've done it, but it's it's tens of thousands, right? So one introduction, if you, again, to your law enforcement agency, if they're looking for training or want them to be trained or just want to add this to something that would be interesting to them. Um, we've done everything, training with Homeland Security, training the FBI, work supporting those operations um, around the country. And um, anything that we can do to help strengthen and make your community safer and keep your kids safer in those damn video games. Mm. Well, thank you for the information and keep up the good work. I mean, it's amazing. And I so appreciate your efforts and your team and you investing this time to share with us so that we can be better educated and more effective too. Well, thank you so much for having me and you've been wonderful. This is awesome. Thank you so much. All right. What did you think about this one? Was there anything that surprised you about the information Christy shared or their approach or the work they're doing? I would love to hear from you. Love to hear your thoughts. Come connect with me on LinkedIn. 
or on my website contact form. And let's keep the conversation going. This is something that we need to continue sharing resources and support for our communities and our families. We need to keep our our community safe and our kids safe. So please help share and spread the word. And the work you're doing is important too. And I want to encourage you to keep up the good work, whether it's in grant writing, in nonprofit work, as a volunteer, as a board member, whatever it is, keep it up because the world needs you to be a part of it. We need to step up with excellence and do our work well to serve nonprofits and to help educate and understand. We need to educate our boards, educate our teams and support them so that they can fulfill their missions. All right, reach out if you have questions. If you are interested in grant writing, go take my quiz at teresahuff.com slash quiz and find out if you have what it takes to be a grant writer. Have a great week. Go take some action and go change your world.